What did we say we were going to talk about? Sensuality and safety. Specifically sensuality, what was what was the specific thing? Do you have more specific? The you domain? Extent. The, the extent. extent. So did people think about it? As in, clarified their thinking on it. The ones they knew that that's what we're going to talk about. Well, the first thing that you'd want to clarify is when you say the extent of the sensual domain. Do you mean the extent of the range of the physical senses or the extent of like the principle of sensuality? Uh, the sensuality. The principle the of prin- sensuality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What would the sense organs without the principle of sens- without having the principle of sensuality in them? Um, it would be just the senses. And that again, I think, probably for, would want to be qualified for people as meaning not just because um, you have like when you say the senses, for example, one would think you have like an image of an eye, for example, or an mm, ear. Mm, mm. But it really means more like the the senses are there where you are seeing, where you are, the the kind of range of what um, what you can experience through your senses is what the senses are in my understanding um, so but can you would you be able to experience anything through your senses if uh, the senses were not there in the world as in these these actual flesh things. organs no existing no but um, when so then the question is can you but can you think then how do you know you have eyes as mm-hmm. as something that's necessary for you to to see mm-hmm. even if it's like you're looking at your own eyes in the mirror yeah what you see in the mirror is the result of having your eyes mm-hmm. it's not the eyes yes so what is then the eye organ in this case mm-hmm. it is well the necessary condition for any sight really that what in in what whatever there is that is seen there is um, what is like in common to all of that or behind any of that is is what the eye is but it's but it, it practically is f- from your point of view where is that eye because obviously now you're describing it as the necessary condition and that's all correct mm-hmm. theoretically but practically the eye that sees while you're describing to me the mm-hmm. eye that sees where is it what is it can you think it can you because no, how can I, you relate if it I think so you you will think mm, it yes like, it's mm-hmm. not can you can you, you will mm-hmm. think it but will the thought of your eye organ can it stand for the eye organ or how can it do so or can it no. not do so so how can you then know it if you can't even think it well, you can kind of know it by by realizing that you can't think it in a way, in the, in the sense that you can, if you if you uh, are able to distinguish the thought of the eye, mm-hmm. as in seeing, okay, that's a thought that mm-hmm. I have, and even that is that's on the basis of already that there mm. are sights, that there is um, that I I'm that there's 
consciousness of sights, as in the things are there, whatever is there um, that is seen, it's through uh, through the eye. But like, what's funny is that you do, you know, if um, if I'm walking in the forest and there's like a branch that is, uh, you know, coming across my path or something, mm. immediately, every, you know, you know mm. that if this branch is is going to um, cut my eye or something, I won't, like, you, you know that it's a danger to you, you know that it's a problem, yeah. you know that you can't see without So this. then your thought of about your mm -hmm. eyes stands for your eyes. Because why would you then cover your eye organ as a result of the thought of your eyes might be hurt? So it does stand for it. So you it can't. It does stand for it in so a way. Yeah. Okay, so mm -hmm. it stands in a way. You can't. Um, so what's the problem then? I suppose that's the question. Where is the mm -hmm. where is the mistake for somebody who is still not free from sensuality? So you can't but not have thoughts if you think about your organs because that's the only way to know them so where is the issue then because Putujana Asuta Putujana not free from sensuality has thoughts about his organs and views about his organs and now seemingly even the one who is free from sensuality would still have thoughts about the organs yeah what's the difference in those thoughts where is the difference anyone the assumption uh, the assuming how does that manifest as a difference? Um, well, with sensuality. Are you assuming what? The so, f first person has thoughts about the organs, they're not free from sensuality. Another person has the thought about their sense organs, they're free from sensuality. What is, where is the assumption there? That that thought represents um, an external, yeah, or something external to it. Okay, uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> that kind of comes down to what you put first. That's it. Mm. Yeah. So, both times you have a thought in regard to the sense organs. But the first time you put your thought and your sense of self first. The second instance, the one who is free from sensuality, recognizes the thought as a necessary presence, as a necessary way of mm. an organ to be present. But it does not misconceive the organ to be in the thought. It recognizes that inaccessible physicality, rupa, present there and during, because of which you are having a thought of it. Mm -hmm. But it does not conceive that thought to be the first, or to be in rupa, or rupa in it, or apart from it, or all these permutations. So you understand basically thought for what it is, and it ceases to mis uh, misrepresent the order of things. That's it. Because if you if you don't cease to misrepresent the order of things, then things can become mystical, overly mystical. Like in a sense, all oh right, so you know, there are these real senses that I cannot, I can think of, but I cannot access. But see, saying the real senses creates another sense, uh, or it's just another thought, mm -hmm. another idea of reality, which is again, idea, a thought. So the point is not to discover what's behind your thought, because it's just going to be another mm -hmm. thought. The point is to stop putting that thought in a wrong place, let's say like that. Stop assuming it as first in regard to what you're trying to think. And that's, that comes down to practically that whole uh, difference between the... Um, I'm not sure we should really get into that now, because it might take us in a different direction, but between like what's peripherally present while you're thinking, which is another thought, but there is a 
difference in the nature of thought if it's actually thought and if it's peripherally enduring. If you assume the external point of view, then yes, you can say, oh, these are all thoughts, but we are not talking about external point of view. We're talking about personal, practical point of view, whereby you are thinking something, which means other things that are not directly thought are, are peripherally present. So seeing the difference between the two is where you would undo this wrong order. Would that be the difference between conceiving and thinking? Uh, well, there would be the difference between uh, thinking free from conceiving and thinking not free from conceiving. Yes. In other words, thinking uh, results in conceiving hmm. or perpetuates conceiving, and then thinking that it's completely free from conceiving. Mm -hmm. Either way, yeah, exactly, you can't not have thoughts. Mm -hmm. And people who believe that you cannot have thoughts and have sort of access to a reality beyond your thoughts <coughs> are completely unaware of the blatant contradiction that that all is another thought. Mm. Otherwise, how can you even refer to anything outside of your thought unless you're already thinking it? So the statement becomes contradiction in terms. Mm. I have a friend who's a doctor and she was saying to me how she finds it strange how as a doctor or anybody who studies to become a doctor, like they study the body mm. very closely and she said, I know so well all, I know all the types of diseases that the body can have. Mm. And like I've seen it laid out, I've done, you know, uh, dissections of dead human bodies. So how come I don't yeah. see the yeah. problem with having a body? Yeah. Um, so I find that a good example of what you just said, like the difference between the peripheral thinking in regard to the, the body, as in seeing it as wherever you go that this body mm. is there with you. Yeah, basically what happens with like people observe, mm -hmm. you can observe other bodies, but that becomes basically the extension of your already misconceiving your own senses. Mm -hmm. Because you forget that you cannot observe your senses in the same sense you can observe the senses of others. Now I can learn about my eyes by, you know, observing your eyes and your sense organs, but that does not necessarily imply that I need to misconceive mine. And you misconceive your organs when you put the idea, the view about it first and then kind of um, assume your, your, your that kind of external position to your own senses. Thus, by looking at your eyes, yes, that's what my eyes are as well. But your eyes can never be seen in that way. So you can contemplate things externally, as the suttas say, but not losing that peripheral perspective that your eyes can never be seen like that. So by seeing the external you know, bodies dying or decompose or all those asuba uh, contemplations, for example, you then infer that these enduring sense organs that are peripherally present, the basis for my observation of what I'm looking at, are subjected to the same nature, not the specifics of it. And that's how you get to then undermine that uh, misconceiving and, and ownership and everything else. And that is the, the extent of sensuality. The extent of sensuality is the perversion of the order. You unpervert the order, there is no more um, pursuit of pleasures externally because it becomes inconceivable. But in order to be able to unpervert the order, you have to stop maintaining its perversion through actions of body, speech and mind. Like a person can think all they want, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not misconceiving my senses and I'm contemplating salayatana and so on. But if body, speech and mind are not withdrawn from sensuality and pursuit of pleasure on account of sense objects, they're perpetuating the perversion of the order and the misconceiving because the, 
valuing the pleasures of the sense objects is the result of that perversion. So then you can do all the contemplations you want. If your actions are still perpetuating the problem, you will not uproot it. But could you uproot the problem of sensuality simply by being restrained, celibate, no. keeping the precepts? Why not? Because it's, um, <clears throat> I mean, that's a necessary prerequisite, but um, it's an assumption. Um, so you have to. So say somebody sticks to it, somebody keeps the precepts, guards, of the, guard, guards the sense doors. Uh, what just just on its own? What would that result in? What could that result in? I mean, the strengthening of the mind, um, mm -hmm. and it is it, going in, in the right direction of understanding so it's, mm. it's making understanding so it, it, it would still make a difference yeah for sure yeah. Yeah. You, you, you cannot necessarily well you should not expect just on its own to to undo all the work but it is part of the work so obviously um, just to qualify if you're keeping the precepts regarding of the sense those correctly as in, if you take it on as your practice that reveals your intentions for which you feel responsible and weighed under them, not if you take virtue, precepts, rules as a form of, uh, oh, this is the tradition, this is our authority, this is community here, does that, so I must do that. That's also an assumption. Exactly, it's like, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. in that sense, in that sense, that's just going to probably make you some merit by not engaging with sensuality, but it will not bring you a step closer towards understanding even sensuality, let alone the, you know, Atavada and all the other assumptions. It needs to be taken personally without the external recourse of, oh, this is the environment that keeps it for me. Um, so you can, you can obviously use the environment that's supportive for the precepts. They will not bombard you with sort of distractions and challenges, but you need to be feeling it on the level of your intentions. And then... Even without any uh, instruction, further instruction of Dhamma, if you're actually doing it on that level, it is even possible to see the danger in sensuality on your own, simply by abstaining from it, but not in that blind sense, I'm holding these duties religiously because I'm a Buddhist or because Ajahn said so or because the community or the tradition or my upbringing. No, no, no. Because I value development of mind through kind of um, discernment and training in regard to my own intentions. Then if you stick to it, the danger will become apparent. That's why an outsider can become free from sensuality. But yes. not, again, I keep saying that because people often overlook this and then they think, okay, so I'll just keep the precepts and it's like, well, yeah, but how do you keep them? That's a very relevant part. That is the Silabata Paramasa part. That's like the, the first three fetters. So so they need, to be, they need to be kept rightly. They need to be felt rightly feel the weight of the responsibility. Yeah. yeah. So just to um, clarify, that was something I was going to ask you about, actually, because, yeah, it seems to me that you can, you can, like you said, see the danger in sensuality just by absolutely um, really 
keeping to that guarding of of the senses, seeing the senses as things in themselves or in that do not need to be acted upon. Mm. Um, so therefore, you could see the the extent of the freedom that could come from not needing to feed the senses in mm. a way. But that does not necessarily what what is missing from that in terms of the Buddha's teaching. Um, it doesn't necessarily free you from atavada, because it doesn't imply necessarily understanding of well impermanence. Mm. Is that if that is correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a person who has say guarded the sense doors, kept the virtue correctly. Uh, discern through their un- intentions, abandon the unwholesome ones, stopped acting mm-hmm. out of them, endure them long enough. If they then come across the instruction of about mm-hmm. uh, anicca, it will be mm-hmm. much more self-evident. They will mm-hmm. see it much quicker. Um, so then, atavada would abandoning atavada will not be as hard as for somebody who hasn't developed their mind at all. Yeah. And I think I, as you said, and it makes a lot of sense that it's almost. In theory, that yes, would be possible, yes, but exactly, it's, exactly. it's not yeah. really no, going to happen. No, because you don't have now, back in the day, you did have presently, with the Buddha at the same time, teachers who were teaching the value of abandoning centrality, the peril, the danger, all of that. So somebody, without having heard the Buddha's teaching, could have heard teaching about the peril of centrality, took it on faith, looked for things, and then seen it, because it is factually perilous. Today you won't find teachings outside of the Buddhist sort of Dhamma, that will be emphasizing peril of sensuality and setting you up correctly. You know, I, I did see in other sort of uh, practices from India, like Hindu and so on, about you know sensuality is very unsatisfactory with little benefit. But then how you go about it was just like well, just devote yourself to this deity or that deity, chant this mantra or that mantra. It's like well, but you know, anybody can say that. Uh, so that's when I mean. theoretically, yes, somebody can arrive at it, but practically today, given that the any detailed instruction of how to abandon even sensuality comes from the Dhamma, so it will be impossible for you to not know all the other things that the Buddha was teaching. So then, that brings it to the next point. Uh, John, how do you go about it? <laughs> Well, let's say what what is John in the what would you think a John is? How would you describe it? Because it's obviously relevant to the abandoning of sensuality. So how how is it relevant? Do you enter jhana and then abandon sensuality? Or do you abandon sensuality and then enter jhana? What? Almost a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. But I, I still want to hear about jhana. What is jhana? Was that safety from sensuality? Yeah. It's a safety from... Seclusion, uh, safety? Seclusion no. with, being withdrawn from sensual... Uh, <coughs> so how do you develop that safety? Practicing sensual strength. Seclusion. Yeah, seclusion. Seclusion. But also choosing. You know, you're choosing not to uh, act out of greed, hatred, delusion. 
what is a necessary condition uh, for discernment or pursuit or value of safety. the danger and unsafety exactly mm-hmm. you wouldn't be seeking the safety uh, if you don't think you're in danger yeah, I was going to say because to even um, like some somebody can ask <coughs> about this how can I um, achieve this or what is that mm. or why mm. do you do mm. that um, but if that person themselves um, is not at least is somewhat dissatisfied already with the um, pleasures of sensuality or the ple- the kind of pleasure that you can get mm. in general in the life, um, or taking at least not taking it for granted that life is for enjoying, <laughs> um, then because then it won't work. Yeah, I think we are kind of presupposing that the person Mm -hmm. has a degree of dissatisfaction, which is why they would Mm -hmm. want to practice jhana, at least correctly in theory. But despite even like people having good intentions, they would go about it in a wrong way. Like they would expect certain practices to lead to jhana, that then in return makes them not want sensuality anymore, and that's the fundamental problem. Uh, you will not discern what jhana is, I, you will not discern what safety is for as long as you don't discern the extent of danger. But discerning the extent of danger is what makes you safe. So, so what you want the, to enter jhana, you discern the danger of sensuality. That is jhana. And the danger of sensuality. We can talk about it now. But before that, that's why like in the suttas, uh, the, 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 the kind of pleasure and seclusion of jhana it's always the result of being completely withdrawn um, and having relinquished um, basically sensual desire, craving for pleasure, all that. So being withdrawn, secluded from unwholesome states, he feels safe and then the pleasure of that enduring safety arises. And that you, that's what you can call jhana. And um, the point I was trying, to, the point I wanted to add actually would be that that so the the danger of sensuality um, how 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 would you discern that? Can I tell you just do this, do that, breathe like this, walk like that, sit like this, don't do that. What is a necessary condition for discerning the danger of sensuality like so the necessary condition for jhana is to having had developed an enduring sense of safety from unwholesome states of sensuality. Necessary condition for developing that safety is the discernment of the extent of the danger. What is a necessary condition for discerning the extent of the danger? What would you practically do in order to discern the danger? How would you go about it? That's my question. Well, take a look at how you spend your time 24 hours a day and how much the value of sensuality determines your actions. Yeah, and say you have done that and you have recognized a number of times that you still 
go towards sensuality, choose towards sensuality. As we said many times before, sensuality doesn't happen by accident. You always choose it, welcome it, delight in it, act out of it. So you have recognized some extent, so what do you do then? How do you deal with that? What can you do once you recognize that, yes, I am engaging with sensuality on some level and still value it? How do you abandon that? Is it discerning the gratification in sensuality? Um, yeah. So, how would you do that? What do you? What questions you need to ask? What do you look for? Are we already assuming that somebody is, you know, not um, acting on? Yeah. These well, basically, we are talking about us. Let's say yes, that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So but what I mean is, like, to what extent, you know, if, um, let's say you're in, in seclusion, um, or is it, you know, I'm, I'm already, at, throughout my day, I'm seeing, is it on the level of one is saying, oh, like, here, um, throughout my day, my actions are, to some extent, uh, guided by the um, acting out of unwholesome, or is it um, that you are see that you are already choosing to not act out of unwholesome in any way well either way you can choose to mm -hmm. not act but yeah. the mind still values sensuality mm -hmm. so you still haven't seen the danger yeah. so the question is then how do you see the danger like that's the only reason you're still valuing yeah. sensuality you might not act out of it mm -hmm. you might not be choosing it mm -hmm. but if you but you're still not free from it. Why is that? Because the danger hasn't been fully understood. Why is that? So, in other words, can you think that you are completely not choosing it anymore, completely yeah, not acting out anymore, and still not see the danger? No, you can't. Exactly. 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 So the point then comes when you think, yes, you, I'm restrained, I'm not acting, yet I'm not seeing sensuality. Well, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If... The sensuality, the dangerous sensuality is not seen, means on some level you're still yeah. welcoming it, delighting it, perpetuating it. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah, then, okay, so that's what you need to look for and see the connection between mm -hmm. the two. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of Try to see what is dangerous. You have to reflect on why is this dangerous. Uh, yeah. Well, well basically any any approach, any approach whether, whether it's through gratification, like why is this pleasure so valuable to me? What is the, the, the gratifying aspect of this delight, of this of this desire, or yes, on some other occasion, what is the dangerous aspect of engaging with it? Either way, the point is to not engage with it and to learn how to not welcome it, so the danger becomes apparent because the danger is there, and that's how you get the jhana. Like you wouldn't be able to do these reflections, and and <coughs> pursue this questioning that will bring the discernment of what you are actually doing on the level of iman in terms of welcoming sensuality or not, and so on. Unless you have been thoroughly restrained, guarding of the sense doors, and spending your time in seclusion and non-distraction with the external world. But you will certainly not be able to see any of this if you expect these answers to come magically. Or even worse, if you expect that end result of jhana, which is that kind of pleasure of that safety that has been enduring for a while, to come as a result of like physical observations of sensations or... So, the questioning of sensuality, discernment of the domain, the extent, the danger, the gratification, is how you get jhana, is how you withdraw yourself from the unwholesome states. And that's why in the suttas there are like, many different ways of uh, inquiry, contemplation, 
would be the basis for jhana. In other words, thinking and pondering, thinking and pondering on account of dead bodies, thinking and pondering on a, well, uh, anapanasati as well, thinking and pondering on account of uh, other aspects of dhamma, usually translated as meditations. But you realize no, it was just the lines of questioning and discernment done rightly can then become the basis for safety, i. basis for the first jhana. And I think I saw that once in the, like a, who was it, Yanaponika, I think, did this. It was just a list compilation on the basis of sort of what's mentioned in the suttas, like a very commentarial style. And it was like all these contemplations and practices that were mentioned in the suttas, they can serve as a basis for first, they can be, become a first jhana. But it has to be on the right level. To well, right. that's what you realize. You know, initially think, oh, so if I do this, John, no, no, no. On account of any of these lines of inquiry and discernment, if you're doing them rightly. Because they will result, if you're doing them rightly, they will result in safety from sensuality because the danger would have become apparent and that then results in complete sort of seclusion from unwholesome states that you become self-aware of. And that's the jhana. And that's why... Like in the suttas when the monks were saying, oh, I, you know, I can obtain jhanas at will and so on. It wasn't because they had this, this, you know, tapped into some mystical plane that they have always contact with. No, it's because they recognize that by protecting the, uh, the lifestyle of seclusion, guarding of the sense doors, virtue, perception of danger, jhana is perpetually accessible. And it was exactly that. Oh, no, no. That's why I live in these rough forests. Because jhanas are accessible to me at any given time. And that's why jhanas are accessible to me at every given time. Because I live with drawn in these rough forests. So jhana is the result of right withdrawal from unwholesome things that's sort of followed by discernment. Which obviously... And jhana is safety from yeah. the unwholesome. That's yep. what, that was the definition Sure. The safety from the unwholesome yeah. is also the knowledge of the danger of Yes, the as long system. as, again, knowledge of the danger got to be the real knowledge of the danger yeah. in a sense because um, inevitably, when somebody practically does begin to contemplate the danger, it will be on the level of theoretical knowledge mm-hmm. of the danger with mm-hmm. some kind of personal, you can relate to it personally to some extent, but the danger really needs to be felt. The danger of, if I welcome this, engage with this, the, 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 uh, the possibility of that just direction, going in that direction of welcoming sensuality or, or central pleasure, that's already the peril. So, but then uh, what would be, oh, you mentioned gratification. And uh, so, another, as I said, another way of discerning what the danger is is to recognize what gratification is. So, what is the gratifying aspects of sensuality? It's delighting in the possibility of getting rid of the pain of one's presently enduring experience. And so, all. are you saying then that delight is the problem? And uh, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching the sense object of pleasure is not the problem? Yeah, so um, the, the, ple- the pleasure isn't okay, in yes, the no, touch. Yeah, isn't, stop there. You said yes. Yeah. yeah. So, can you engage with sight, sound, smell, taste, touch of the pleasure ki- pleasurable kind without the delight in it? Yeah. Um, exc- blanket. Blanket, yes. Always. You can always engage with it. Or other certain smell, taste, touches 
that always imply delight. Oh yeah, things like uh, sexuality and uh, yeah, exactly things, things that, that are against the precepts. Yeah, yeah. Always imply delight. Yeah. Always imply perversion of that order. Yeah. But yes, once you say no to those things, then some engagement with sense objects, whether they are agreeable, disagreeable, or present or not, can sometimes be agreeable, sometimes not. Which means you could. Uh, remove the delight from those things. So what is the delight then? What is the delight? It's, in, it's on the level of the possibility in the sense that yeah, you could experience But practically, practically, <coughs> if I'm not thinking about possibilities, if, if those are things a bit too subtle for me, practically where is this delight that I obviously have because I obviously pursue sensuality? Craving, so, wanting more. So wanting more pleasure, wanting to get rid of the pain. I to get rid of the pain ultimately. Yeah. So then <coughs> the the wanting of it. Mm. Uh, again, you know, I might not think in terms of getting rid of the pain. You just feel the pressure, the pull, mm. <coughs> the 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 intensity of sensual desire. Yeah. And then you give in to it. Where is the delight? The possibility of getting rid of that pain. No, but where is the my delight? See, possibilities arise as part of things. Delight doesn't. If delight were truly the possibility, you wouldn't be able to free yourself from it. Mm. So yes, there are possibilities of getting rid of it, but I am the one delighting. Mm. There is something you are perpetuating. So how do you not perpetuate your delight in sensuality anymore? I'm not choosing. Choosing not to delight. If I'm the one delighting, can you just choose to not delight? Because you're already, you know, undermined by a delight. You don't start with a neutral position where delight comes and then you choose it not. Maybe you know somebody who's been practicing longer can see it coming before it comes. But somebody who's not free from sensuality are always undermined by their delight. So, in other words, you cannot not delight by choice immediately, certainly. But how do you start uprooting it so it can become a choice? Yeah, so um, allowing, yeah, I mean, obviously, virtue and such traits are allowing mm. the um, this discomfort to endure exactly without exactly out that will basically see delight is always exactly as you said before exemplified through this possibility of dealing with the discomfort dealing so by welcoming it welcoming that possibility you are delighting and you will do that inevitably you can't just say no to that but what you don't have to do is follow up on that delight so you welcome the possibility to get rid of the unpleasant itch and get pleasure as a result of it Mind is elated at the possibility of it, and you endure that now. Mm. And that is much harder, and it becomes obviously much more refined than just saying no to things right kind of on the base level and trying to prevent <laughs> them from even arising. Yeah. Oh, this mustn't even... No, 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 that's the kind of whole point. Yes, you say no to base things, such as things that are against the precepts. Things will start arising, delight will start happening, you don't want to get rid of it. Mm. You want to be able to endure it without acting out of it. Mm. So in other words, people still delight because they don't see the extent of the delight. Mm. That's it. Yeah. By seeing the extent of the delight, 
and enduring it sufficiently enough, you'll stop delighting in it. And then the gratification is understood. Then the danger is understood. And then the escape is understood. Escape is not pulling your eyes out or never seeing anything agreeable that, that was last provoking like before. The danger is being unable to accept the prospect of delight, to delight in it. Why? Because you understood the danger. Mm. So the danger is of the delight, on the level of mental attitude of delight. Mm. That's the peril. That's the, 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 bite, the biting of the bait that then you're controlled by. Not the actual beautiful things in the world that are agreeable and, and people lust for. But yes, in order to get there, first you need to say no to those things, to engage with those things, but then you need to take it on on that internal level. And it's much sharper there than if our practice is to just sort of adhere and protect and control the circumstances so that nothing even arises, nothing even crosses my field of vision. It's like, yeah, you don't seek it out, but inevitably things will uh, provoke lust and delight in your mind. So what do you do then? Do you try to negate it, deny it, cover it up, get rid of it, or actually learn how to endure it to its full extent without acting out? And that's why people are afraid to endure it. Because they're doubtful whether they're liked out or not. Can you and you don't want to endure it because you might act out and then weight is even more. <gasps> I might act out and undermine everything I work for. Yeah, exactly. That's the danger. That's the peril. You endure it long enough, it will become apparent. But if you don't want to let it endure in that sense and just double down and redefine the rule and introduce more rules so this never ever happens, it's like, well, you're fighting the problem on a, on a, in a wrong, wrong place. You're not seeing that it's arisen by itself, um, so you're not able to see the extent because you're trying to put yourself. Well, yeah, you're not able to see the extent because you're unable to endure its extent. Mm. Like you can see and not see and stuff, but if you're able to endure it without acting out, out uh, of of it doesn't matter how how refined it gets, endure it. It will be seen the delight, like endure. You, you're already delighting, as I said. Yeah, it's already welcomed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I already welcomed this. How do you stop it? No, see, now you're trying to stop it and everything to get rid of what you already welcome. No, yeah. you need to endure what you already welcome to see the mistake of welcoming it, mm. not to cover it up. Mm. And that's the difference. So you mentioned these contemplations, um, for example, like Asuba, um, and yeah, like one interpretation of Asuba is, yeah, the, like the the ugly. Yeah, you contemplate the ugly like um, as a means of replacing sensuality. Yeah, that's the seeing, problem. Yeah, rather yeah. than seeing sensuality is ugly. Yeah, exactly, and that's where you, that's you're trying to, to paste level. over the view, the idea of ugly, 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 to kind of push away the unpleasantness of having to endure the delighted sensuality. Mm. Instead, the true asuba practice is on the level of if you have endured it already sufficiently enough, you get to see the ugly in it, and then the endurance becomes pleasant, yeah. becomes equated with freedom, renunciation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you're doing it in response to not wanting to endure it because it's unpleasant, then it's just a cover-up. Yeah. Then it's not done rightly. 
then the, the wrong order still remains unchanged. So all of these contemplations, they require this... Yes, yeah. as right I say now. often, that, that, that kind of right endurance is the basis for any Dharma approach to apply. Mm. Same with like Anapanasati, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. yeah The lies in the different foods of the different senses, to put it like that. As mm -hmm. in, like the if if the senses are like these um, the six hungry animals, like this in that uh, simile, the I I I find that a good image because. It really is like that, that these senses are just kind of dragging you and pulling you in the different directions. Mm. And the reason that you keep following them or kind of running after them, that's kind of, um, in a way, the delight. Like when you delight in something that the senses are kind of um, dragging you towards, going towards it with them, you don't feel like you're being dragged. Mm. So it's mm. like uh, that's the only feeling of kind of relief or peace or you're kind of simulating the feeling mm. of relief or peace by kind of following after them um, so that you don't see that it's actually them dragging you, not you. Yeah. So you don't want to endure the discomfort of exactly. being dragged. See, if you stop resisting being dragged mm -hmm. around, if you start running with it, mm -hmm. the tension will disappear. Mm. So the dog is yanking you. And you try to fight it, and then you get all this all this tension and pain, and you have to fight it for who knows how long. Mm -hmm. But if you just start running with it, yeah. oh, you don't feel the tension anymore. Yeah. But you realize, but yeah, now I have to run. I have to keep moving. Yeah, exactly. All the time. All the time. And that's exactly why people would delight, because exactly. they don't want to go through discomfort of already hungry, wild, untamed mm -hmm. senses. So, as I said before, you have an option. You can, yes, keep enabling the wild animal so it doesn't harass you or you can endure the harassment so the animal will come down and you can finally train mm -hmm. it and then you don't need to run nor do you need to fight mm -hmm. the, the tension but for somebody who's already that's <coughs> the thing that's why you have to start with the stop yeah. with stopping first yeah you got to stand your ground and just yeah. hold on to that leash and because otherwise you don't even realize that that's the, the that's the similar wasn't it the uh, taming of the elephant mm -hmm. like you don't bring a wild elephant and immediately start issuing instructions mm -hmm. to it expecting it to obey no but and then you strap it down to a strong post tie it down and it will be kicking screaming urinating defecating going mental but it will have to calm down because it will tire itself out. Mm. And if you don't let it run away, if you don't sort of unhook it, it will calm down. And then, you know, it will start taking food and then it will start listening to you. Mm. And so you broke it down, broke it in. And that's uh, that's exactly the, the training. Like, uh, you can do it, you know, some people can do it more gradually, some, but the point is, yeah, you got to start containing yourself from spilling outwards so that then the mind will learn how to calm down within that. Because for as long as there is a, a possibility for it to go out and relieve itself from, you know, things that are kind of confining, then uh, it will seek it. Only when it renounces, when the senses realize, no, it just, it's not going there. It hasn't been going there for a while. As the Buddha said, the virtue has been developed beforehand. It's a, it's a necessary prerequisite.
<clears throat> it is uh, counterintuitive at first because because engaging in sensuality does get rid of craving temporarily. Well, yeah. Like the dog is screaming and barking and restless and ripping your apartment up because it wants food. So you give it food and it will stop. Mm. But see now, next time we'll do that again when it wants yeah. food. It will cause you damage if you don't give it food. It's and actually, the... Yes, I could appease it mm. and get a temporary relief. But as a result of it, I am perpetuating that habit yeah, yeah. that it's undermining me further and making mm. things worse and worse. And that's exactly your senses. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the really, five senses. It's exactly. The same. Yeah. And it's really only by you know if you first stop, yeah. it's only then that you, you realize how wild the animal yes, is. Yeah. Understand <laughs> that that's the only reason yeah. I delight is because the you will not even recognize the strength of the pull until you stop. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you've been running with it. But when you stop, then you realize the weight. The that's intensity it, against the grain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's also like the um, the way I think to understand the difference between like the principle of sensuality, as or how I would put it, and let's say it's not about just just like specific types of objects, for example. Yeah, it's really yeah, the principle yeah. of that being pulled. Sure, sure. And I think it's important to maybe emphasize that. Yeah, in the broader sense, you start with a specific object, mm -hmm. specific acts. As I said, that always imply delight and so on. But yeah, that's just so to contain yourself so that, that you realize that delight is what colors the mm -hmm. picture wholesome or unwholesome. Um, so then I guess the next point would be uh, danger. So we kind of covered the gratification. What is the, what is the danger? aspect practically acutely what is the danger in delight so presence of delight means danger why in each or impermanence you're inserting yourself um. but you know things remain impermanent either way right, so why is it dangerous for me that impermanence because um you're perpetuating this assumption of being able to control your feelings which is a false assumption and so um, the, you're making yourself liable to how? the impermanence of feelings how? that's the point how am I making myself liable where is that liability that I'm responsible for so that this delight is dangerous making me, making me susceptible to danger in that assumption or of which one of sensuality but no the assumption of sensuality is because of the delight because when you delight as in you follow after one of these wild animals um, uh -huh. you kind of you kind of make yourself part you you become the sense in a way you uh, are you assume this the, the sense yeah. you, so you take on the ownership you, whether exactly. you want it or not so you are taking on that yeah. ownership therefore it's you. So, who would are you be subjects. taking the ownership mm -hmm. even if you don't follow that animal? But the delight is there. You're already delighted, but you're not following. You are restrained. Would that be implying the ownership? So, you don't go all the way mm -hmm. of following, becoming dependent on pleasure, mm -hmm. but the delight is there. So, if the delight is there, is the ownership there? Or it takes time for the ownership to develop. Takes time for the ownership to develop. No, no. no it's not like. Yes, this is. You can see in terms of the five 
holding aggregates, which is what Sakaya is. Mm. And, um, you know, is that holding yeah. separate or not? No, it's the delight and lust. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So, so I, would, I would say for the six senses, it's basically the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So presence of delight it is, is presence of danger, because presence of delight is presence of ownership mm -hmm. of that which which you cannot own. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So is it then valid for someone who has following our discussion so far mm -hmm. to start making at least in their thinking a clear cut distinction between let's say me here and six senses which are wild animals doing their own thing and I want to keep as separate from that as possible not mm. not projecting myself into those senses uh, no no it's not on the level of projection basically first what a person would need to do is recognize that if they think about the senses separate from them the six animals or them separate from the senses that's already the result of the six mm. animals so first they need to find the practical examples of the six animals pulling them they're delighting in the aspect of relief and then discern them themselves on mm. that level mm. yeah so in other words if you want to contemplate yourself separate from the animals uh -huh. you do that on the basis of the animal pull pressure pain you have to endure yes so you're going to see yourself in that sense better the light with those senses yeah well that's what i'm saying that's where your sense of self is exactly like you might not see yourself there if you expect to see yourself elsewhere or in different terms mm. so you got to abandon your expectations of where myself is and start enduring things on the right level and then again make the effort to basically prevent yourself from interpreting yourself in these external terms mm -hmm. and actually see that I might not see it now, I might see it later, but if I understand this correctly, my sense of ownership, i.e. my sense of self, is here on this level of basically pressure of the senses that I don't want to endure, that I delight to get rid of. Mm. That's where it is. Mm -hmm. So I don't think you could just extrapolate the contemplation of the self separate from the senses and do it independent of the practical basis of the endurance of the five animals. No, that's kind of the point. Yeah, yeah, because the starting point will be that there is already identification with the senses. Exactly, yeah. and exactly. You cannot exactly. just decide yeah. to step out of the whole domain that's of it. senses. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So the closest you can come to discerning um, um, uh, the uh, uh, the holding of assumption of self is by discerning what we have just said: the delight in the domain of the senses. Yeah. So then. Practically, the closest you could come to discerning the not-self is to enduring the pull of the animals mm. Mm -hmm. without covering it up, without giving in, without justifying it, trying to get rid of it, without managing it, psychologizing it. Because mm -hmm. that is that which will truly reveal to you how much you don't own your own senses, mm -hmm. your own self, how much, how wild they are and you, you, like you don't even exist for them. Yeah. A wild dog... You are just a feature in the world. Like he, he doesn't care for you. doesn't respect you. doesn't listen to you, that's for sure. So, But people do, see, by constantly acting out and running out with these animals so they don't feel the tension, they develop this, oh yeah, this is, I am, this is mine. Mm -hmm. uh, my senses obey me because look, I can send them here, I can send them there, I can pull them to run to the left. Yeah, but you can't stop because if you stop, they will rip you apart. Oh, so you are very much just their servant, a convenient servant. Yes, they need you for directing, like five, uh, five organs, five sense organs need the mind. They meet in it, they get the sense from it, they get the meaning from it, the, the, the whole possibilities. 
But in reality, it's like which one comes first? Which one is subjugated to the other one? Which one is the servant? Is the mind the servant of the five senses or has the mind developed so the five senses are, are basically subordinate to the mind? And yes, for most people, the mind is the servant of the mm. senses mm. <laughs> through and through. <laughs> Although the mind maintains this, this arrogant assumption that no, this is mine, I am in charge because look, I can turn left, I can turn right. Yeah, can you stop? But, but once the senses have calmed down, you've endured the pressure long enough. Mm. They've calmed down. Then what is revealed is who now the, is the master. Yeah, mm-hmm. the unknown ability. You realize, oh, these, I cannot be these animals because if I were, they would be in my control. But yet, look at them, kicking and screaming. So I can only tame them. I can only calm them down, but I cannot be them. They cannot be mine. Yes, and, and so one can discern the senses already being present, already hunting and chasing things. And secondly, it's not just one sense doing that, it's actually five simultaneously in yeah, different in directions. Yeah, in their own domains, yeah. yeah. So then um, that already undercuts the idea of, of there being one owner, owner yeah. because yeah. it's like walking with five or six different animals yeah. on a leash going in all directions. So where do you think you're going yeah. with all that? And the problem for people is because if you've been running with them, so you don't experience the pain and the pressure and the pull, you stop seeing them. All you see is yourself running. Mm. So people don't even see the five senses for what they are. And that's exactly that uh, identifying aspect that gets developed on account of that assumed ownership. Like, you think you are it. You think you are what you see, hear, smell, you think you are those senses. So you put those views, those ideas first, as we started in the beginning, as we said that. Mm failing to realize no they they are actually physical organ of eyes nose the five senses senses. that i cannot be identified with even if i want to because they're endured there in the world subjected to elements and everything else Mm. so that contemplation can be enough to make get you started so to speak so you you don't identify as much but fundamentally it's going to boil down whether you're still acting towards it or not whether you're able to endure the delight for as far as it goes as sharp as it gets that, but only if I touch this, the relief will happen. Just, just this, this tiny no. Because it would be done for that wrong reason out of that perversion. If that's if the delight is not there, that's fine. Then things are not an issue. If the light is, is is not present, if you have uprooted it, but until that happens, you have to recognize that the danger is not in everything else that would follow on a kind of engaging. Yes, it is, but the more acute danger of sensuality is on the level of presence of delight. Mm-hmm. Means ownership is already there. Means wild animals are in charge, at least to that extent. And if you were to recognize truly that even a, like a second of that perversion of the order implies the danger of the entire domain. Mm-hmm. you, you Makes everything else yeah. possible. Yes. Yeah, you realize, oh no, this is... It doesn't matter, oh well it's not as much as before. Yeah, that's good, but just a grain of it is equally bad. A grain of delight. And this is why a a noble disciple can make progress in Dhamma by developing the perception of non-delight in the entire world. In the entire Mm. world, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Buddha said similar in regard to being, isn't it? Like even small traces of it. It's like the excrement. Mm. Whether it's a a bucket of it or a tiny, it it smells the same. It's horrible. Mm. And so it's a being any being so whether it's karma bhava <coughs> or just 
like being of sensuality or just being mm-hmm. cleared from sensuality either way tiny bit of being it's as bad as a lot of being uh-huh. it has the same smell the same danger the same peril like you said that I find that important too not to forget that the senses are these physical things yeah. in the world that uh, are just made of matter subjected to elements and that's exactly sorry uh, like because we mentioned peripheral in the beginning mm-hmm. yeah see you find very important to not forget that mm-hmm. and you realize okay so it's it's a it's a type of reminding yourself through certain contexts and contemplations and that's how you practice that peripheral awareness see because you cannot directly perceive those senses mm-hmm. but by reminding of the right order as in they do have to be in the world they're independent uh, or not identified with like in order I can identify with the senses and forget about them is because they're already there so if you never forget that that's how you practice the peripheral awareness that we yeah. spoke about in our previous videos not by some method of you know looking peripherally no reminding yourself of the context that, that's based on the right order mm-hmm. and that's, that is why it's helpful oh, okay so just keep that and you can never spill out of it you, you know you can forget you can get distracted within it until you work on that aspect of things but fundamentally that will be your kind of outer wall these senses I cannot go outside of I cannot spill outside I am within them I am contained in them mm-hmm. they are my ways of accessing the world yeah and so therefore that even makes the the danger of ownership of them even worse in a way because mm-hmm. not only are you this constant slave of them but by they are bound, in, bound for destruction exactly. and you're going that way and if you don't abandon them mm-hmm. yeah yeah. And that becomes your destruction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You are, well, the dogs are running down the cliff. Mm-hmm. So unless you learn how to completely detach yourself from from the five strands of central pleasures, you will be flying down that cliff as well. Mm-hmm.